and to fill the void, we're obviously here today. Um, we got our guy Charlie Saturday back. Um, I'm sure other people will be filling in. Um, I'm a little under the weather today, but we're going to power through. So I apologize for any nasally congestion sounds, but the Sixers are down 2 out of the Miami Heat, and who better to discuss it all. And we'll look forward to uh, the context and the stakes at, at play here um, in the offseason as well. But who better to discuss it all than Gina Mazzell from the Philadelphia Inquirer, former Phoenix Suns beat writer as well. Uh, so she knows her, her, her way around uh, contending teams, or at least supposed to be contending teams. <laughs> Thanks for hopping on here, Gina. I appreciate it. No problem, Jake. Thank you so much for having me and excited to talk about this series and what it could mean and whatever else anybody is interested in talking about. So I did not watch last night's game live. I watched a little bit today, but I, I to, to be candid, I didn't watch it live because you know, I kind of knew what to expect, right? And I don't think anyone really was shocked by the outcome that Philly's down 2-0 now with actual Embiid. Now, I, I think... People were certainly hoping and believing on the Sixers side of things that the role players and the shooting would be a lot better. Um, but I I did not have great expectations for what James Hargan was going to be able to do as a as a solo All Star. I mean, obviously he's not alone out there with Tyrese Maxey um, and Tobias Harris has had a pretty hell of a playoff run uh, with all the pressure and the stakes on him. And like clearly playing with a a big chip on his shoulder, but mm-hmm. um, was I wrong? Like like was was last night and was game one just a bunch of bad breaks, or is this without it be this really just is such a lopsided matchup? Yeah, I mean obviously it's tough when you don't have if you're the Sixers, you don't have the NBA's leading scorer, you don't have your MVP finalist. Um, I, I agree with you in that this result is not surprising with them being down 2-0 but yeah you sort of hit on the shooting has just been a really surprising not surprising but that's really been not good for them and that's been a a huge downfall I mean you could really just point to that they're shooting 21% from three in these first two games and you know maybe you shoot just a little bit better and you you were able to, to steal a game in Miami and particularly last night's game would have been the one to get but yeah, you you mentioned um, you know Harden's been been a mixed bag. He had a good second quarter um, last night, but then only scored four points in the second half. And he had a stretch where he had you know two possessions in a row that he missed a shot that would have cut the lead to like five or six, and so would have helped the Sixers inch a little bit closer. Um, Tyrese Maxey was great in the second half last night. He had 34 points. Um, 23 of those came in the second half and just continues to look like a a budding young star in the league. But like you mentioned, just some of those complimentary players just have not been, have not been there for this team so far in the series. And, and again, the bench and the, the sort of complimentary players, especially after the trade have, that's been a weak spot for this team all year. But when, George Niang goes 0 for 7 from 3 in game 1 and Danny Green goes 1 for 9 last night from 3. It's like you just you got to make at least a couple of those. So that's definitely hurt this team and and we'll see what sort of transpires uh as this series shifts back to Philly and if Embiid's able to come back at all and even if he's not um just how they continue to try to adjust and and make do without him. I haven't talked to anybody about his timetable recently, but I mean, based off of everything I'd heard previously and Chris Haynes' report last night on TNT about Embiid still struggling with looking at a screen. Yeah. Game three does not seem to be likely, right? Um, no, if that, no. If that, yeah. If that's the case, then we might be looking at a sweep here. And all, like, seriously, I, I don't think anyone expected that when the matchup first was drawn and before we knew the orbital bone fracture and all that type of stuff. But that's a real possibility at this point, right? Yeah, and it's it's kind of, for the Sixers, it's unfortunate that they're on this every other day schedule, which, I mean, you could sort of say, well, you didn't finish off the Raptors when you could have, and you had to go six games, and hey, if you're, if you don't, if you go, don't go six games in that series, then Joel doesn't get clocked in the face either, so there's a lot of things you could, you could look at, but the fact that they've just played every other day during the series has not given him 
any extra buffer for him to to come back because it's not just the it's not just the broken eye socket it's the fact that he's in concussion protocol and there's obviously certain steps that you have to take to be able to get out of a normal concussion protocol and and the you know the fact that he's has some hurdles to clear that was the terminology that doc rivers used earlier today that um you know he just he hasn't gotten to that point yet and that he's expected to undergo some more evaluation um today and tomorrow morning as well and so it hasn't been ruled out and we haven't seen an official injury report yet that might pop while we're while we're on this conversation but um it 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 doesn't seem like they're planning for him to be back now certainly that could be just crazy gamesmanship in the playoffs and and you know stranger things have happened um but it the way people have been talking they've been talking more like we need to figure out how to win without Joel than we just need to survive and and wait for Joel to come back if that makes sense surviving and waiting for Joel to come back has been a theme of this team yeah. for his entire career, honestly, and not just when he's healthy, but not just when he's hurt, but also when he's healthy and goes to the bench. Like, mm-hmm. they have been, I mean, it's, it's kind of just been an exercise in futility of trying to uplift this roster um, whenever he's not on the court fully maximized. Um, and it's never been more clear as it is right now, especially as, you know, fans, and I mean, it, it's gotten a lot of attention now in the media as well. I mean, the, the DeAndre Jordan, <laughs> uh, Paul Reed debacle, um, and even just DeAndre Jordan's effectiveness in general, separate of the Paul Reed debate, um, has really been just like the next. I mean, it, it's it's so Sixers like to go to from the Greg Monroe um, instances back against Brooklyn a couple years ago. Um, I mean, it's just been. You would think you would just think that they would have had easier pathways to fill in that spot. And and to be fair, like as the league has shifted into more of a perimeter based um, sport and the skill level that is required of seven footers to be able to guard across multiple positions, fight through screens and switch out onto smaller guys like there aren't as many big guys who are just generally effective in a postseason environment in the NBA as, as there were, you know, years ago. So it's not exactly a challenge that I think the Sixers are um, are alone in. Like the Minnesota Timberwolves are a team that, you know, comes to mind that definitely has designs of improving on their backup five spot. The Nets, you know, did not have – and that guy, great walking through that door. Thank you, Charlie Saturday. Um, I mean, the Nets with the whole Andre Drummond. Uh, I mean, which is, like, I don't know if Andre Drummond would have really added much more for Philly in this situation, um, being that he obviously was the Sixers backup heading into this year. Dwight Howard was the, uh, you know, the backup a year ago. Like, I think it's a common problem across the league. Um, and I think it's why guys like Nerlens Noel and Mitch Robinson um, are starting to actually get paid now, whereas you know just the pogo stick rim protector backup five that could just be on a veteran minimum deal like that's kind of going away. That we're showing the value in those types of players. Um, so I don't know where Philly could have necessarily gone in terms of the options that were on the table at the deadline. Um, so I, 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 I don't want, like, I see people on Twitter and Philly fans that I know kind of criticizing Daryl in the front office for, for doing a better job at plugging that hole, but I mean, it's clearly rearing its ugly head right now. Yeah. I mean, there were not good options after they included Drummond in the trade. Um, and you know, I, I agree with you on that playoff basketball is different than regular season basketball, but um, I think the Sixers would certainly rather have Andre Drummond out there as the backup than what their current oh, yeah. situation is right now. So who knew that Andre Drummond was actually the most critical Sixer on this roster until the trade? <laughs> uh, yeah, who, who knew? But um, no, I mean, you look at just after the trade, you know, Paul Millsap comes over, comes over in the trade. And, you know, obviously he is 37 and not the player that he was you know, when he was an all-star and, and is certainly way, 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 way past that point in his career. And, yeah, even just you know, a few they, years ago. 
Right. But they, you know, they signed Willie Cauley Stein for a 10 day and then released him before that was even over once um, they were able to get Jordan. But like DeAndre Jordan was really the best option that was available as far as a guy on the buyout market. And so, um, you know, I, I understand the argument that maybe you should have given Paul Reed more minutes and let him play through his mistakes and maybe he would be better positioned or better prepared to be ready to fill the type of role that he's having to fill right now as, as the backup. But, um, you know, there, like you said, there just weren't a ton of great options once you included Drummond in that trade. And it's funny, I was actually talking to um, some of us when we were waiting for Doc today, we were sort of just talking about this series and in the context of this series, we were, we naturally started talking about the trade and you're like, at this point, would you rather have included Andre Drummond and Seth Curry as the other pieces in that trade? Or would you have rather included Matisse Thibel, which <laughs> was the like sticking point on the trade? And that was a reason why they had to go with Drummond and throw him in at the last minute is because Daryl Morey did not want to give up Matisse Thibel. And so who, who would be more important right now in this series? Um, uh, uh, Matisse Thibel, who couldn't even play in road games against... Um, the Tor- Toronto Raptors or or a guy who could shoot and a guy who could uh, be a little bit better of a backup center option or starting center option with Joel out. So again, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but it's kind of interesting when you sort of look at all these moving parts and what could have been, what uh, might have been, and, and sort of where it's all led to right now. The centerpiece of that trade was obviously James Harden. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the Ben Simmons news that came out today of him undergoing back surgery um, and, and having a, a months long rehab process, you know, kind of brings another big data point into his situation. And I mean, I was pretty surprised. I'm not going to lie when that news came out. I mean, I had, I, I wrote a pretty big Ben Simmons nets kind of article once their season ended at the hands of Boston two, three, two, three weeks ago, whenever it was. And then I, to be honest, I haven't really checked in on Ben Simmons then since then. Cause like it was kind of off my radar, you know, mm-hmm. um, but every indication I had from Brooklyn people, from people around him and his camp, like he was supposed to play game three. And then after game three, he was supposed to play game four. So to go from that to not playing, I mean, clearly there was something there that he would have had to play through. Like that, he doesn't just get surgery because he didn't play, right? Like clearly there's yeah. legit. I mean, the MRI showed legitimate um, injury there a little while ago. He had to he had to take an epidural. So like Ben probably wasn't coming back for Philly this season anyway. In terms of like, if you want to look at if you want to that big far of a step back in terms of there was definitely. You know, until Harden and all the back channeling on Philly side of things, um, until they were able to convince the Nets that there was a real likelihood that Harden could leave just straight up in free agency um, by the Sixers using cap space of OKC or whatever avenue that they were going to try to explore to sign him outright. Like, there was an alternative that Sixers personnel were prepared for where Simmons would have still been in Philly after the deadline. Um, and they would have tried to get him to come back and play um, and, and see if they could at least win now and then also move up his value ahead of this summer. So that, that, that's, you know, that's one, that's door A. Door B is, you know, the deal does go through, and you have Harden now who, I mean, that 5-0 and start, Genus, feels like a long time ago. <laughs> yes, it does. And to be honest, like, I, I don't remember Harden looking like that much better during those games than he does now. Um, and he, he had more of a bounce in his step, I think, just being excited to be um, in a new situation, the situation he wanted to be in, the one he has purportedly wanted to be in all along, which, you know, I do believe that he had greater interests from the jump in – joining Philly versus Brooklyn and, and, and being with Daryl and being kind of the guy next to Embiid in Philly rather than being kind of the third guy in Brooklyn. But he also was very interested in being the third guy in Brooklyn. So I don't think – I think that might have gotten a bit misconstrued that, like, the wool got pulled over his eyes in the sense of how and, – and also, like, the Rockets were never really from – 
every person I've talked to, the Rockets never would have engaged in that deal to begin with, being how Daryl left on so unceremoniously with Houston. Mm-hmm. But now, now this is the bed that they've made, and it's a question that comes up all the time when I talk to people around the league. They they ask me, and I I, I don't have the answer yet. But um, they, people always ask, "What's Philly going to do with James Harden's contract?" And <laughs> so I ask you first, Gino, what do you think they should do before we talk about what likely will happen? Uh, yeah, what should they do? I mean, geez, it's and you hate to just say that he's. I mean, it just very clearly, obviously, he's not the same player that he was even a couple seasons ago, and he's still a very effective passer. I would say an elite, sometimes brilliant passer, which that was, um, you know, that was the case from the jump. Um, you know, that five and zero start that you were talking about, like that was one of the things that most impressed me was just his facilitating, especially so early on with the team where he was still like learning, learning guys tendencies and getting comfortable on the court and whatnot. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, it's been well-documented obviously is just his, uh, struggles to get past people, his struggles to finish at the rim. Um, you know, just, he doesn't look, he doesn't have that burst. He looks slow. He doesn't like that. It's just not there anymore. And you've seen it in spurts, even during these playoffs, like when he's maybe gotten a little extra time and a little extra ability to rest and whatnot, but it just hasn't been there, um, consistently. And so, I mean, gosh, like what, what should they do in a perfect world? Uh, I don't, I don't think he's worth what he's going to command or what he's going to ask for at this point in his career, as many older players are not worth that type of money anymore. Um, We've seen that in many examples. Um, But what will the Sixers do? I mean, like you said, I think they've, they've made their bed. And so this is, this is the situation they're in now. And I, I certainly, I will be really, I, I do expect obviously Harden to come back. And so I will be interested to see what things look like when, him and Embiid have, you know, time during training camp or they have time to work together in the, you know, summer and early fall when, when guys come back from wherever they train in the off season and actually having practice time and a regular season and to sort of really reconfigure their team and maybe for Harden to reconfigure his game a little bit more, but he's going to be a very, very expensive uh, player at this point in his career and what he's bringing and then you think about what's coming down the pike. You, what, what do you do with Tobias Harris? What do you do with a Tyrese Maxey who's going to, you know, obviously still on his rookie deal, but eventually is going to command a lot of money. Um, you know, Joel Embiid's obviously on his his huge extension. Um, that'll kick in here pretty shortly. And so, yeah, it's it's going to be really interesting to sort of see all the ripple effects of, of everything. But like you said, they've kind of made this decision. And so I, I would imagine that Daryl Morey's gonna going to ride it out to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, a pragmatic outcome for all sides involved would be some type of like two plus one deal yes. where he gets yes. a max on short-term money, which would pay him well over a hundred million dollars. So he gets a bag and he gets to, still hold his max salary status, which is important to a lot of guys yep. in the league. Yep. Um, and he gets to get that, you know, and that's, that's a win, right? Like this is going to be, I mean, at a certain point in any dynamic between player team, whatever, you have to look at it as these are all individual actors with their own agendas at heart. Daryl Morey is operating on behalf of Daryl Moore as much as he's operating on behalf of the Sixers. Same with Elton Brand, same with James Harden, James Harden's representatives and Joel Embiid and anyone around the league, right? That's just, it's a, it's a individual business, very lucrative one built on a team sport, which is why it is so ripe with all these storylines that we end up discussing on programs such as this, because a lot of those agendas end up being pretty conflicting. Mm-hmm. Now, him not opting in for next season as because he forgot, he, right? He just he just, he did, just forgot to forgot. do it. <laughs> that was a first data point that a lot of people around the league, the skeptics around the league, if you will, looked at and said, "Huh, this summer could be pretty interesting between James Harden and the Sixers." And I mean, if that is the case, right? If he did do that in some type of calculated effort, some type of chess move. 
again, if, then that would clearly have been for some type of leverage in terms of you want me to opt in. Well, screw that. Like I'm, I'm I need I need a full deal starting now. You're not getting this current one. So that's one aspect of this all. The other aspect of it all is that when these deals happen, when a superstar changes teams, when a franchise gets involved from the ownership level on down to really bring a player of that magnitude to their franchise, even someone like on a Jeremy Grant level, Jeremy Grant is not going to get traded this summer or before next trade deadline without his people being on the same page with his new team about his next contract. So there are other people in the league who will say that they believe the terms of this deal are already basically agreed upon. It wouldn't have even been, the trade wouldn't have been discussed. Harden wouldn't have even pushed Brooklyn to make this deal without knowing that the riches he desired were going to be waiting on the other side of this rainbow in Philadelphia. Right. Mm -hmm. So to me, the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, and but then again, like Charles Saturday, our guy in the comments is admitting a mistake is the first step and they can't give him that money. I would recent history with Tobias Harris would suggest that Sixers ownership group um, has been willing to double down on their investments <laughs> to show that that deal was worth it, i.e., giving Tobias Harris a five-year 180, you know, basically near max um, and kind of picking him and Ben Simmons over Jimmy Butler and kind of showing with their wallets, like how much they did believe in Tobias Harris. Right. Um, So, and I I mean, there is definitely from my understanding, no buyer's remorse on getting Harden. Harden was the top guy on the Sixers wish list all along. Would they have loved Damian Lillard if he became available before James did? Yes. They've loved Jalen Brown. Yes. They've loved, you know, fill in the blank here of other guys. Not as much as James Harden, honestly, like Mm -hmm. he was the guy. So I think, I really do think Sixers fans got to start getting ready for Harden to be on the books, making this massive, massive, massive salary through, um, you know, the better part of this next decade. I really do. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I mean, there's just um, Harden is Maury's guy. I mean, I, I know that's that's stating the obvious, but like you said, this was the this was the player that they coveted. This was the player that when when all the back channeling started and when this started to become a, a possibility, it was like, oh, OK. And so it's happened. And Again, I I think we're we're seeing that you know he's not the player that he was. I am interested to see what it looks like with more time to to work together and not doing this like you know trade deadline post All Star break sprint to the finish. But um, yeah, it's it's more going to be okay. This this guy's going to be on a huge deal, and then just what does that do as far as how you can build the rest of the team around Harden and Embiid? Because as we've seen in these playoffs. Um, you know, you, you, you obviously superstars win in this league, but you need some depth and you need some shooting and you need some athleticism. And there's a lot of holes on this roster or a lot of places that this roster could be upgraded to really vault them into championship contention. Um, and so how does all of that sort of that's always the question of roster building is how does all that work together um, to try to, you know, find the best collection of, of players to to put around those two guys. And Maxi too. Obviously Maxi's part of the long term future as well. But so you've got those three. And then what else do you do um besides those three? I I have to think that that uncertainty is fueling part of the fire that we've seen from Tobias so far in the playoffs. Oh, a thousand percent. He's played better than I've seen him play in a long, long time. Yeah, he's been excellent. Um on both ends of the floor, which you never would have said that about Tobias Harris, the defender, but the way that he um, guarded Pascal Siakam, um, just the the way he sort of had to transform his game and he's bought into it with the whole catch and shoot, um, you know, kind of philosophy on offense. And again, the way he's defended, the way he's sort of been, and I think he's always been regarded as like a good guy, a good dude in the league, but he's been kind of the steadying force of, of this team in the locker room. He's very respected by his teammates. And so, yeah, he's he's kind of done everything that has been asked of him, which um, I don't know 
if every player in his situation would have accepted that as you know willingly as he as he did because yeah you you look at his season and he went through a lot of ups and downs he was shooting the ball poorly for a lot of the season and he had a game in early January and at home against Houston where um, the crowd started booing him and he was like egging him on essentially like you know waving his arms like you know come and get it or bring it to me you know and 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 you you think about kind of all that he's gone through um, this season and you know he he was like the the reports of of the team you know pers- looking at potentially salary dumping him like that just to clear up some cap space like yeah all, all of that has been on the table and and to sort of have it culminate with him playing so well during these playoffs that's a credit to him but also kind of there's the lingering question of you know, what's, is he going to be on this team next year? What do you do with his contracts? All of that. So yeah, it's a very interesting situation for him, but in the very present moment, um, he's, he's playing great and that's been, um, you know, a good thing for him and the Sixers have needed it certainly. Yeah. Them exploring options to move off of Tobias's salary was very real. Um, I think it first got broached with Atlanta. If my memory serves correctly. Yeah. Um, when I talked to Hawks people, um, and I mean, it was a very, very, very swiftly met with, uh, negativity, I guess. Like there was not much interest in any team taking back that deal. Um, now, like, does that mean he's definitely going to be headed out the door this summer? No, which I think is part of what's, you know, feel, feeling this performance like we're talking about being, cause yep. there's, it takes two teams to make a deal, right? And like you can talk about, oh yeah, sign and trade him for for Bradley Beal, sign and trade him for who, or or just move him forever to whoever, just send him to OKC with all these picks. Well, we already got two picks going to Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. It's not going to, and you know, Daryl's front office is going to clearly not really value future draft capital in order to win now. Like every single important actor in Philly's franchise, from ownership group to Doc and Elton and Daryl and Embiid and Harden. They all are there for one reason and one reason only, to win a championship. Doc's the only guy there who's done it, as he'll gladly tell you all the time, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, So all these people are aligned in one thing, to try to win a championship together. So as LeBron was very uh, kind uh, to point out, or keen to point out about the Rams, you know, fuck them picks. That's going to clearly be um, the the modus operandi in Philadelphia, if you will. Um, but, like, they don't have a ton of flexibility in that regard. I'm not looking at their uh, war chest at the moment, but, um, you know, they have this 2025 pick that's already, you know, tangled up with OKC. Um, they've got this pick already out to Brooklyn now, and, I, and another one after 2025, whether it's 2027 or 2028, I'm not sure off the top of my head, but they really don't have much, much flexibility outside of dealing with OKC and freeing up some of those protections um, to move him. Uh, may, maybe this postseason run has moved up his value a little bit. I would think it has to have. I haven't asked anybody around the NBA about it, but I also don't think it – would move it up that dramatically where he's automatically becomes a positive asset. So um, it that, that that's just a tr- another tricky situation they're going to have to be looking at here this offseason. Right. Well, because, again, he went into the season as the number two option behind Embiid, and that's when he struggled. And then it was a combination of Maxi ascending into what he's become and, and certainly believe he's going to continue to get better. And then you bring Harden in, and so – He's, you know, maybe on some nights he's the third option. Maybe on some nights he's the fourth option. And he's kind of that, oh, if he can give you 25 points and play good defense and go, you know, four of eight from three or something like, like it's, it's, it's a, it's a bonus when he plays well. And, and certainly that's, I think, shortchanging how he's been in the playoffs because he has been consistently excellent, but it, he's not relied on in the same way that he was you know, relied on, I guess, at the at the beginning of the season or, or hoping to be relied on if you're the Sixers. So, um, yeah, he's just – he makes a lot of money for a guy who's a complimentary piece or a high-level complimentary piece that's not a 1B, that is not a, you know, best player on a playoff team, is not a – you know, there's a reason why you traded for Harden because you felt like you needed another 
guy of that caliber to push you over the top. So if, if you thought you had that in Tobias Harris, then you wouldn't need to do that. So yeah, he's just, he's in an interesting role. And again, I give him a ton of credit for being willing to change his game, to take all that on, to sacrifice for the team, all the, all the cliches you want to throw out there about being a good teammate and, and doing what needs to be done for the overall success. But it, he's just, and, and you can't blame him. He, 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 if any of us were offered the money he was offered, you would, we would all take it in a heartbeat. So it's not his fault oh, yeah. he's being overpaid, but it's just the reality of his situation that sort of makes him a, an easy target for criticism and also just makes him a, a tricky piece to try to maneuver if you're trying to upgrade your roster or maybe trying to do something a little bit different. Because like you said, you can't just send him anywhere. It's got to be a team that, that wants to take him on as well. There really is no such thing as being overpaid or underpaid in this industry. It yeah, is you're how, paid when someone how, is willing to pay you. Exactly, or what you're or what you're willing to negotiate. It's 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 that or the other. And um, you know, part of what makes team building so fascinating are the cap restrictions that that come with it. Um, so you know, I do think this is part of the the challenge. I mean, it is the challenge of building a quote unquote super team where you stack together multiple guys making max contracts of 30 plus million dollars. And it's only going to get more and more challenging as the money gets more and more um, lucrative. Um, But I think the, 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 at least the benefit that the Sixers do have is, I mean, the orbital bone thing aside and, um, uh, the the thumb. I mean, Joel's been healthy for a long time now, and yep. that's at least the north star that they've had got moving forward. Um, and with that, I mean, he took a leap under Doc Rivers. As much as Doc's been maligned, and I think fairly criticized for certain things like the DeAndre Jordan stuff and the stubbornness, and as a as a proud member of the NBA media. Um, I do think a lot of his contentions uh, in um, press conference availability have been borderline unprofessional. I will say that candidly. Um, I mean, what he said about Ben Simmons after game seven to a different degree, I mean, was egregious in a professional standpoint from like what franchises expect uh, their coaches to do when they do go out there and act as the leading public voice of their organization day in and day out. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like part of why Doc is Doc, right? He can go out there and command the room and be that dude. Um, but it's taken kind of a, a turn south um, in that regard. But um, I think the biggest thing you got to tip your hat to for Doc and his tenure in Philadelphia is what he's done to make this Joel Embiid's team and to really, I mean, there, there was this whole 1A, 1B kind of inner battle with not between Ben and Joel, like necessarily, um, but I mean, ideologically within the franchise on how to maximize both those two guys and how to, like it became about how to maximize and beat and then this team took off, right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of that does get credited back to Doc. Um, so... That's something that I think is a big factor in evaluating his um, success with this team as any. Um, the other biggest thing is the money factor of it, because this is a business. And mm-hmm. as much as we you know, talked about this ownership group having a tendency maybe to double down on, on their actions with their wallets, um, you know, they just they, they ran out and got Doc Rivers the second he became available. Um, in 2020, um, and you know they 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 were very far along. Uh, I, I want to save a little bit of the particulars for potentially writing about this later, um, but I mean they were very far down the line with Mike D'Antoni. That's obviously been public and reported so far. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean they just about faced and pivoted and then swept in and flew Doc in and you know all the above to go get him and make him their guy. It's only been two years. They've had you know, they been the number one seed in the East last year. What him and Joel did together in terms of steering this team through the debacle with Ben in the beginning of the year 
I mean, to me, that was my argument that I was making to people on the league for Joel's MVP candidacy. Yep. Being that, I mean, uh, right now, as I talk to you here today, and as I have been thinking ever since I watched the Bucks play the Nets in that one of their games late regular season, like I, I do firmly believe that Giannis is the best player in the game right now and has been for some time. I and mean, obviously, he's the back to back, or he was the back to back MVP. Um, I mean, Jokic doing what he did without his teammates it was impressive but those guys were injured like they didn't have his all he didn't have his all-star counterpart literally holding the franchise hostage and his representation sending out different articles um well not directly but tipping information for various articles throughout that whole saga you know for Joel to lift that franchise onto his shoulders and, and make them competitive. Um, and not just competitive, but one of the best teams in the East. And, and, and Doc played a big part of that too. Um, like I, I wanted to give a lot of credit where credit was due there. Again, I, as we've talked about plenty of times on this show, I do not have a vote. A vote. I do not want to vote. Um, but um, I did think Joel was deserving in that regard. Um, and so that, I think that's an important thing to consider with doc as well, but all that, all that being said, like at this point, from what I've heard, from what I believe, from what I've heard, I don't think ownership is dying to make a change at, at, at the coaching position. You know, people around the league talk all the time that Daryl Morey purportedly doesn't value doc that much. However, you know, he was a candidate for the Rockets job before Daryl did leave. Um, and it's just, there's a lot of money owed to Doc over the next three seasons. He's got $8, mm-hmm. million, $8 million average annual salary. Well, I guess it's just annual salary. He's not, not a player with sliding scales. He's got $8 million salary and um, goes to 24-25. So that's three more years, $24 million. Look, people, I mean, I had a conversation with someone today about how the Lakers' slow coaching process is uh, partially being held up by them waiting to be able to talk to Quinn and Doc Rivers. Mm -hmm. And could they formally request to interview Doc? Sure. Will it happen? I mean, it seems like it it might. Um, But will Philly be letting Doc walk? No, um, in that scenario where like he's still someone they want, and a, a, a trade for a coach is not something the Lakers really have the assets for right now, being that they're already asset strapped trying to move off of Russell Westbrook. Um, I also do believe that part of the Lakers hold up in their coaching search is waiting to see what their roster is going to look like, and then pair that coach with or without Russ and LeBron and AD. Um, no, not all those guys with or without Russ I mean, LeBron and AD are going to be there. Um, and then on, on the Sixers side of things also, like, I don't think that ownership group who, like we, t- like we said, dropped everything to go higher than man two years ago, who led them to the first place in the Eastern conference. who did what he's done so far this year, you know, rotations and hand ring about the head, about the backup big man aside. Like I could be off base or I could be reading it wrong. My my intel could be wrong, but I really don't think that they're going to part ways with him on their own accord. I just don't see it happening. Yeah, and I was talking to a, a fellow media person. We were talking about this the other night, and the other variable is just how this season could potentially end. Like if if Joel doesn't come back, and you know the the reason that you lose a playoff series or the reason you could point to that you lose a playoff series here against the heat is because you didn't have your MVP candidate and your leading scorer and, and all that. Uh, it would be tough, I think to fire him after that, frankly. And so again, and pay him strange- 24 million. Right, exactly. I mean, again, stranger things have happened. We've already seen like at least one surprising coaching firing with, you know, James Borrego in Charlotte, like weird things happen all the time. So I'm not, I'm not saying it's it's out of the question, but I, I tend to agree with you that I tend to lean more toward um, Doc being back next year unless he just wants to go to the Lakers. You know what I mean? Like if he just wants to go back to L.A., then, you know, we all we all make choices in our lives for a variety of reasons, professionally, personally, all that stuff. So, um, you know, I, I 
you, you can tell how much he loves LA. We were there late in the regular season and, and obviously he still has a lot of connections there. A lot of, um, he, he's got a house out there obviously still. And so, you know, that, that's an interesting wrinkle to this whole situation. If the Lakers job was not open, then I would really tend to think that he's back. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you in that just the way that, the, the way that everything is gone as far as how he helped this team navigate the Ben Simmons situation, which is, uh, you know, pretty unprecedented. Um, the way he's helped develop Joel and, you know, Joel obviously uh, deserves a lot of credit for that too. And we can talk more about that, but um, yeah. And just if, if they, no one's expecting them to win this series. And if they got swept because Embiid doesn't play, like would anybody be shocked? Or if they lose in five games, like it would just kind of end the way that, we're all expecting it to end. So I, I don't know. It wouldn't be some like grand disappointment that they, that they bowed out in the second round again. And I know the second round is a, is a sticking point, um, you know, for a lot of Sixers fans, just because they haven't been able to get past this point in the playoffs. And that's very, very frustrating, but uh, it, it would be an unlucky scenario this time. And it, it's too bad because like you alluded to, I mean, and Bede's been healthy all season, other than when he had COVID early on in the season when everyone was getting COVID. Um, he has been healthy all year. And so for him to have the thumb and then all this face head stuff happen in, in basically a week is just it's it's too bad because it's gonna add to the oh Joel Embiid is always hurt when that was not the narrative for him this year and that was not the situation for him this year. So right now it's just bad luck, but all that to say, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you that. Um, I think it's uh, if if you had to say, will Doc Rivers be back next year? I would tend to lean yes than no. Um, but if it's a no, I would say it's because he just wants to go to the Lakers instead, which, um, you know, Southern California is for a lot of people. And he is definitely one of those people. <laughs> yeah. Everyone around the NBA, very quick to say how much Doc Rivers likes Los Angeles, the Beverly Hills golf uh, country club and, what have you, and knowing maitre d's and managers and hosts at all these you know top restaurants around the city, he's definitely an LA guy. Um, and he lived there for a long, long time. Um, and similar to, I don't want to say similar, uh, but um, adjacent to how he has upheld the franchise at times with the Ben Simmons stuff and what have you. I think he gained like a lot of LA standing by being like the figurehead of the Clippers during all the Donald Sterling absolutely uh, yes. drama, um, and that's something that kind of like forever um, imparted him and like hierarchy of sports dudes in that city. Um, so that's something I think to be considered as well. Um, I mean, he might I, he might want to he might want to go back there regardless of the money. Um, I, I I would be surprised that he would do it for a lot less because again he's got twenty four million guaranteed coming his way. Um, and you mentioned the Borrego situation; like there were there were rumblings that that could have happened depending on them not making out of the playing tournament. And Borrego's deal, you know, I don't know for sure, but definitely believed to be like around 3 million, maybe under. So that's a, that's a pretty penny different uh, compared yep, to what Doc is on the book Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, it would seem to be um, you know, more of a doc decision at this point. But like I wrote on Bleacher Report on Tuesday, um, you know, and he said it publicly too, although, I am one of the bigger proponents of trying to uh, not necessarily take what happens in front of a press conference microphone at face value and actually uh, look look around the corner. Um, you know, he said very publicly that he hasn't had any interest in it. And also, I mean, people in Philly have communicated to me that he has not shown his wandering eye yet either. But then again, like, you know, James Harden didn't really tell Nets people that he was really considering leaving until the 11th hour. So could that still happen? A hundred percent. But for now, um, and this is where the team is at. We talked about the Harden situation. We've talked about um, Daryl. Um, you know, at this point, 
whether bringing it to this this series um, or or the or looking ahead to the off season, being that they are two games away from elimination, what are the the other big question marks that you kind of have as a as a Sixers reporter, kind of thinking about the different areas you're going to be looking at to explore the next couple of weeks yourself? Yeah, yeah, we've hit on a lot of them. Um, yeah, the Harden situation. What do you do with Tobias Harris and? Then kind of like what I mentioned before is just how do you sort of build around those guys? Because you need some more athleticism. You need a backup center. You need um, some more athleticism. Um, Just there, you know, this team obviously finished fourth in the East, could have finished as high as second because of how everything was bunched up with them and the Bucks and the Celtics. So, again, certainly not a bad team by any means, especially given all the drama that they had to navigate. But uh, I still think, at least at this point, you know, even heading into next season, I would still put Milwaukee and Boston ahead of them. And so that's yes. that's you're losing in the second round again. You know what I mean? Like that's it's, it's still where you are. Um, and and so and the Nets too are going to be a, obviously a major wild card as well. Um, so you know, I, I I will be interested to see how they just try to tinker with this roster along the margins. So that that will be certainly what. I'm watching after the big questions of Harden, of Tobias Harris, of does Joel Embiid get healthy? I mean, certainly there's no reason to think that he won't based on the injuries that he has, but just kind of what, when, then what is the next step that he can take in his game? Because as you mentioned, he just continues to evolve as a guy who can shoot off the drivel, as a playmaker, as a leader, just he, He's he's a guy that is, is I I still feel like he has a long way to he's he hasn't hit a ceiling yet he still has more that he can even continue to accomplish which is pretty remarkable for a guy that's already you know scoring thirty points a game as as a center so um but yeah that's that's kind of what I'm looking for but it's I mean it's just going to be really interesting to see how they tinker with this roster and then sort of where they stack up in the rest of of the East you know moving forward. Shooting's obviously been a glaring weakness in this series. Yep. Um, and, yep. you know, the the intel, the word I got around the deadline was outside of the Ben Harden situation that they were looking for upgrades on the perimeter for, you know, 3 and D type guys um, and the backup big. So, yeah, I, I would assume those will be top of mind moving forward. Um, but... The other thing I think that's going to be important is um, a backup point guard type position being yeah. that, I mean, it's uh, Maxie's just thrives so much off the ball. And one thing that I think a lot of smart teams end up trying to do is find similar personnel for their reserve units. So that way they can play similar styles when they're big cojones are, are off the court um i mean it's hard in dallas where someone like luca is running the show the entire time but you know that's when they that's why they've got you know secondary ball handlers like spencer dinwiddie and jalen brunson to kind of sort of mm-hmm. mimic that load um i mean phoenix does run a ton of pick and roll with campaign even though they've got devin booker and cam johnson and mikhail bridges and other guys on the court a lot right so um, we've just seen Maxi really – he took a leap in the beginning of the year as the point guard, right? But he really took a next step um, playing in the more of that off-ball, secondary ball handler type role um, next to Harden. So if they could find someone who you know doesn't cost too, too much is a solid backup. I mean, someone like a Tyus Jones who – I mean, Tyus, in my opinion, is one of, if not the best backups in the league. So that that would be you know, a tall task. Um, but, you know, someone like that who's dependable and, and sets the floor for his teammates um, and can really get into half-court stuff and, and, and break down a defense by, by serving the floor in a, in a pick-and-roll situation, um, I think that could really – be a big benefit to the Sixers and especially, you know, as Harden continues to, to age and, and the fear about his athleticism and whatnot, you know, seems to be pretty tied to this hamstring injury that's plagued him dating back to his Brooklyn tenure last season. You know, in a doomsday scenario where he is out for a lot of time, like all of a sudden if you just like you know, Tyrese and Shake are not 
um, are not the are, are not the you know lethal backcourt that you would want to theoretically have in that situation. Right, right. Yeah, I mean it, it's interesting because before the Harden trade, if when we were sort of looking at okay, if the big Ben Simmons deal does not happen, which heading into the deadline there was a real possibility that it would not. Um, when we sort of looked at the smaller deal, backup point guard was definitely the one that, that we looked at as, as the biggest place to upgrade. So I, I think you're right on the money about that. And then, yeah, just another 3 and D type guy. You know, no disrespect to Danny Green, who has actually had some pretty decent games here late in the season and in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, last night was not one of them, but uh, he's, he's played pretty well um, after a pretty injury-plagued season. But he's another one of those guys where he's 34, he's not getting any younger, and um, is, again, a, a really good locker room presence. But I just don't – you wonder how much longer he can, you know, play at a, a starting caliber level. Um, so, no, I think those are, are definitely the the pieces that, that you would want to see upgraded um, just to kind of sharpen some things up uh, around your superstars. Charlie, I did mean big kahunas. I got a little head cold, man. Sometimes – Get a little foggy. A pop that slip <laughs> up. Um, all right, Gina. We've talked for well over fifty minutes now. This is the part of the show where I typically ask my guests if if you have any questions for me. You don't have to, but I've asked you a ton. Now I feel like it's only fair to to, to spin the table. Oh my goodness! You're like putting me on the spot, and it's, I feel embarrassed that I uh, as a reporter that I have nothing prepared. <laughs> um, <laughs> What be about anything? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll ask a basketball question or a playoff question. Um, just who who are your finals picks? Just based on um, what we have seen so far in these uh, semifinal series, has and has and has it changed from the beginning of the playoffs? I'll I'll uh, couch it with that. So, I definitely have been riding the Celtics bandwagon. Um, Ever since I don't remember the date, but when the when the Mavs played that Sunday ABC game at Boston, and Boston actually lost, I remember I remember watching that game and thinking and, and texting a lot of Celtics people like I really think you guys can win the East, um, and I've, I've maintained that all along. The game one definitely rattled my uh, conviction and that prediction, um, but obviously they bounced back pretty well in game two. Um, not having Middleton is, you know, obviously a, 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 a detraction from the Bucks' chances. Um, so, I mean, I just – Miami's obviously taking it to Philly right now. Um, but they're not, like, blowing the doors off of them by any stretch. Like, I think the Heat, as presently comprised against the Sixers without Joel Embiid, are obviously ahead a, a above them. Like, but you know these spreads are what like eight and a half points or so, and they're really not you know blowing that out of the water. And there's still a lot of people in the league who have questions about how you know potent the Heat really will be when the going gets tough. And that that first round series where they looked great and Jimmy was you know probably the best player through the playoffs. Like I remember I put out a tweet that you know people were questioning how the Heat were going to close games. And Jimmy Butler seems to have answered that. And a ton of people online were like, they're playing against the Hawks. Like, this is not <laughs> that impressive. Um, so I'm still, I still am curious to see Miami get a real test, right? And the Sixers, not just without Joel Embiid, like, without one of not the best defensive players in the league, right? Like, yep. it's not yep. just what he's doing offensively. I think DeAndre might be the worst defensive center in the league, right? <laughs> so it's... Uh, that that's been a big fall off. So I, I still I do believe that the winner of the Bucks Celtics series will win the East, and I, I I do believe it will be Boston on the other side of the bracket. Um, I've been, I mean, how can you not be just so impressed with what Phoenix does? And they beat you yep. in every aspect of the game, um, and they seem on a mission after squandering the finals last year. So um, I think it'll either be a Bucks Suns rematch. Or it'll be Celtic Suns. Um, the Warriors are very, very dangerous. I would think, for Phoenix's standpoint, um, but I, I really thought the Warriors were gonna put that series kind of away in Game Two and then go back to 
Golden State and uh, San Francisco and kind of, you know, cruise, honestly, and that didn't happen. Um, you know, some Wolves people I talked to are kind of confused at how the Warriors are not exactly, you know, approaching that matchup the same way Minnesota did, and, and they're making jaw beat them in one-on-one scenarios rather than making him be a playmaker and decision maker. But the Warriors will make those changes. I just think they're in for more of a series than they probably could have been um, versus, you know, I mean, it could be different in Dallas too. Dallas could flip the script and they could, you know, make it more competitive, but it seems like Phoenix is going to have more of a, more of a walk to the conference finals, which could benefit them in that Warriors matchup. So, yeah, I'm going with the Suns in the West. They've been the wire-to-wire best team in the league since, like, the start of last season, right? Um, yep. So, them versus I, I like your Boston. And I am picking Boston, yeah. What about you? I, I, I would agree with that. Middleton injury aside, I maybe would have gone with a, uh, a rematch of last year, but I, I think I'm with you. And I agree that the Western Conference Finals, if it's Suns Warriors, is going to be freaking awesome. Like that would just be that would be a hell of a series. Um, I can't. I, I hope that that transpires because that would be a lot of fun to watch. Um, and if it doesn't, that means that Dallas or Memphis has done something crazy, and I'm, I'm here for that as well. So um, yeah. And, and yeah, similarly to you having like a very distinct memory of like when you started to believe in Boston, I have one too when they beat the Sixers in Philly by like 48 points. Um, It was the day that Harden was introduced. And so it was like this, you know, very ceremonial day. Um, Everyone was happy in Sixers land and they had this, you know, big game against Celtics coming up and then they just got absolutely blasted. Now Harden didn't play in that game, um, but still like they lost by 48 points. And I was like, Holy cow, this team is way better. I hadn't seen them in person um, in, I think since like December when they were still kind of floundering and hadn't really figured things out yet. And so I'd seen their run, you know, from afar when they started to play really well, but like actually seeing it in person was like, Whoa, okay. This team is incredible defensively. You know, Jason Tatum is, is continuing to ascend and Jalen Brown's playing great and they've got these, you know, awesome defensive players. And so, yeah, I I'm with you on that. So I think, uh, I think that's a good pick. Um, my other question has nothing to do with basketball. But, yeah. Well, just because I'm still a new, I'm still very new to Philly, all things considered. I've been here now uh, seven and a half months, I guess. Um, and obviously during the season, you don't have as much time to explore and, and whatnot. So where, what are like your top, where do I need to go? Like restaurants, whatever you know what what do i what do i need to do once the season ends at some point perhaps in as as soon as like a week from now <laughs> well if you haven't been to reading terminal market you gotta go oh, there yeah. like seven different times and just yep. pick around the different stalls um you got to go to budokan that's probably my favorite restaurant in the city if you like okay. asian fusion stuff yeah. Do some do some fishing, some strolling, some biking, some picnicking down the Schuylkill by the art museum. Yeah. Um, maybe take a trip down to the Jersey Shore, hop yep. on the uh, NJ Transit, or take a bus or drive down there. Um, what else? Um, I mean, Rittenhouse in the summer has always like got a nice, fun city park energy with like some guitar people playing and whatnot. Um, what I live close to there, not to disclose like where I actually live in the city, but I'm I'm close to a lot of there those spots. Go. So I mean, I'm in the city, so yeah, it's all it's all relatively close to me. Everything you, you just mentioned. So, and then as I always say, Delosandras is to me the the goat cheesesteaks. That's uh, you are, that's my quick yes. that's my quick off the off the dome rundown for you. Love it. Yeah, Delisandro's, um, you are not the first person to recommend that. And I just, I haven't gone yet just because it's a little bit out of the way. Um, but when it's, it's the off season, the there will be plenty of, there will, there will be plenty of time to, to make that drive out there, but I cannot wait. So yeah, I love it. Cool. It's all, all right, on my list. Tina, <laughs> thank you so much. This was a blast. Um, glad to talk to you for the first time in many months since All-Star. Um, yes. Yeah, I'm sure I'll see you in summer league combine draft circuit around the league and uh you know safe travels and um and keep doing the great work you've been doing this year 
and uh, appreciate you giving up an hour of your time for free. Not easy to do these days. So thank you so much again. No problem, Jake. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone who joined. And, uh, yeah, everybody enjoy the rest of the playoffs. There you go. If you're not already subscribed, please don't aggregate this on the call and app. Please do so. Um, you'll get all the updates when we're going live next. Um, not sure who we have on deck for Tuesday and Thursday. We're going to figure out depending on how the playoffs go. But, yeah, enjoy the games. Happy Mother's Day. Tell the mothers out there. And uh, we'll be back on Tuesday. Thanks, everybody.